My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in to the GT Young Adults Podcast. We're a community, a part of GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus and have a passion to learn and live like Him and have a ton of fun doing it. All of the messages and conversations you find here will point you to His truth and His hope, so lean into whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks for listening. Welcome to church, everyone. You doing good? Awesome. Uh, like Clista was saying, we are in uh, the last week of a series that's gone a little while, um, specifically talking about questions Jesus asked us. That's where we started, and now we're tackling some questions we asked Jesus. If you are new, or maybe you come back and it's been a long time, I just want to welcome you back, welcome you here. My name is Lucas, one of the pastors and staff, and get to run this service and be part of this community, and I'm very grateful you're here tonight. Can I just encourage you with a thought I had during worship? I just want to encourage you um, in the next few weeks, or whatever it is, maybe during the summer, to invite someone, to bring someone to church with you. Um, I just had this really beautiful encounter this week that I'll share another time, but it is, it is wild to me how um, powerful an invite to church can go to someone who may look lonely. And I just want to encourage you that there might be someone in your kind of your sphere of influence, in your circle, who you, you know maybe is struggling, who you know um, is just lacking community, is just lacking vibrancy in their life. And I just, I, you never know how important, how good an invite to church can go, what that could do for someone. So can I just encourage you to bring someone with you next week? Uh, we've got a great series after this, four weeks. We're going to do talking, we'll release that on Instagram this week. But I really think you'll, you'll benefit from it. I'd love for you to invite someone to church. All right. Like it was said, we're ending our series today. Uh, we went with questions Jesus asked, questions we asked Jesus. We end with a big one, friends. We end with a big one. Um, and I want you to know I'm going to do my very best, my very best today to, to unpack what I believe is just, there's mountains and mountains of content here. Men and women spend their entire lives writing and philosophizing about this question. People have spent years and years, we've debated, and it's been all of your philosophy classes and everything, and so I don't pretend to be uh, smarter than I am. I am first and foremost a pastor. My heart is to just know that you are loved, is to share with you the good news of Jesus. I really believe that he is, um, in so many ways, the answer and the need that we have as humans. And so just know that, that is, that is what I do, that is my heart, uh, but I will do my very best to unpack tons of content. Friends, I'm going to be honest with you, if you have dinner reservations, cancel them, because we're going to go a little late, okay? The question, the question is, what is truth? What is truth? It's this question that uh, a Roman governor, when, when in conversation with Jesus, before he goes to the cross, asks Jesus. He asks him, he says, what is truth? And they have this conversation. And I want to walk through it because I think it's really interesting. It's very interesting and, and it very much speaks to our culture now, uh, to then and, and more. Um, I, I'm, again, 
There is so much here. Can I just encourage you, as I have tried my best to do as I've been preparing this message, I have tried to just check my ego at the door. I've tried my best to examine myself and every past prejudice perspective and, and worldview and examine that. I've tried to really put that aside and just let God speak through the scripture. And I've tried my best to just see every side of this. Um, it, I read something this week, and it was just an article I clicked on, so I, I, I'm not referencing it because I don't know how, how accurate it was, but it said something along the lines of like 87% of students coming out of university right now leave with a stronger view of what they already had rather than a more diverse view of everything they learned. And I thought that was interesting. Again, whether that's 1,000% accurate or not, either way, it was an interesting click point for me, realizing how much bias we just we take into something and then how different places and backgrounds and wherever it may be, workplaces, even, right? I'm very much in a, in a Christian zone. I work a lot with Christians, so I even know that's, for me, the same idea. These things re-influence and kind of hammer down our thought processes, our perspectives, our worldview. And so today, again, this question, what is truth? I'm sure many of us will have different perspectives. We'll have opposing views. Even as I talk, and my heart is, again, to know that you're welcome here, to keep coming back. Uh, email me after the service at brendan at gt.church. I'll get back to you at some point. Like, let's have a dialogue. Let's, let's ask the questions. Let's, let's do those things because this is something that we need to ask questions about and have dialogue about. I, uh, I realize, again, we all have thoughts and opinions and we argue. I feel like as a, as a dad... I'm always trying to get to the bottom of the truth with my kids, you know? Bo and Georgia are like at each other's throats right now. Six and four, it is insanity sometimes. Like I don't, it's just like, hey Bo, hey Georgia, boom, fight. I don't even know what happened. They said each other's names wrong. Like it's ridiculous. And, and I know you've probably been there too, right? Where you're trying to just know who's right, right? Trying to get to the bottom of something. Have you ever had that, like a disagreement amongst your friends and you got one friend saying one thing and they're over here and you got another friend saying one thing over here, and what do you do? You lovingly help them, right? No, you grab some popcorn, right? And you send a meme. You're like, let's watch this, let's see what happens. That's kind of like, we kind of get that, we have that perspective, we're like, I'm just gonna watch. As a dad, I'm always like refereeing. I'm like, okay, Georgia, you have two minutes, go, state your case. And then Bo, Bo doesn't really know how to state his case. He's just like, he just says, he just has sounds right now. Mm, no, uh, Georgia, no, it's not what happened. Uh, I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, Georgia hit me. Like, that's all I get, right? Is that? And Georgia's like, actually, she actually said this to me the other day. She's like, Dad, Daddy, let me tell you my truth. I was like, what do you say? A little postmodernism. Like, it was so interesting to watch her and say this. And it was just like, what's going on between you two? And actually, now we like, we make them pay us if they want to ref. If they want a referee for their fight, it's going to cost them something at least 50 cents or something. Like, I need some change, whatever you got. Like, it's just arguments, and it's, it's this craziness right now. We're trying to get to the bottom of truth, of, of the silliest of things, but we do find ourselves in a similar space. Friends on either sides. Friends uh, with different opposing views. We find ourselves in a philosophically complex world, a, an emotionally driven shallow time, a technologically ran society, and sometimes that means a dishonest one, and everything and everyone feels, therefore what is felt becomes that reality, and therefore it is reality. When we both know that just because I feel something, it doesn't necessarily mean I should act on those feelings. We should definitely think about them, we should definitely ponder them, we should definitely talk about them, but they are, like I say often, a great gauge, maybe not always the best guide for life. And so again, we have found ourselves going from the kind of 
romanticism to modernism to postmodernism to now a post-truth era. I was just having a really interesting conversation with a professor this morning who is talking about a, the post-truth era that we find ourselves in, where truth itself doesn't really mean anything anymore. And that truth has become subjective and truth has become what we feel. And rather than facts driving us, proven properties that make up a proof, the truth has found an interesting and odd footing in our culture. There's a great quote by G.K. Chesterton who said, those who leave the tradition of truth do not escape into something which we call freedom. He said this, the only escape, they only escape into something else, which we call <clears throat> fashion. I thought that was so interesting. What he's saying is that as a culture, we've started to redefine truth to be what we want it to be, to say what we want it to say. And it's not making us necessarily more progressive or powerful. He's saying it's simply making us fall into a trend and truth just becomes whatever is trending. Friends, truth is not a trend. It's not a trend. It's not popular today and gone tomorrow. Like, truth has meaning and grounded facts to it. And again, we're gonna break all this down throughout the night. I wanna give you a context into the actual scripture we're gonna use because there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Um, Jesus knows his time is coming to an end. And, and he has the Last Supper and he goes to the garden and he prays and, and then he's arrested. He's actually betrayed by his best friend. And these Jewish leaders come and they arrest him and then he goes to, um, he goes to a high priest and then they take him to like their father-in-law and then they all take him eventually to a guy named Pilate. Again, that's the conversation we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna walk through in John 18, John 19. Pilate, again, is a Roman governor. Um, he, he, he kind of oversees, Rome kind of rules like India to England at this point, modern day, and, and they have complete dominance and power. And so Pilate is just, you know, a governor of the area, and he wants nothing to do with this situation. Nothing to do with it. Mostly because he, his wife actually has a dream and says, listen, there's a guy named Jesus, don't, don't do that. You don't want to be a part of that. That's bad news. Like, just don't even, don't deal with it. Like, leave it alone. So Pilate recognizes that Jesus is from Galilee. And at this point, because the political landscape was so, there was like such a, so the temperament was so on, hot and cold on and off that he basically sends him over to King Herod, right? And so King Herod sees him and at this point, Herod tries to say something, he mocks him, Jesus is silent. Again, a lot of context here, just follow me. And rather than seeking the truth from Jesus, Herod wanted him to perform a miracle. He wanted a sign, we talked about that last week. Herod and soldiers mock him, slap him, hit him, like send him with a robe and just send him back to Pilate. And now again, Pilate is faced with this awkward scenario where he has this Jewish guy who has done nothing wrong. Here's what's so interesting. Here's why I give you all this context. Why did he go from the Jewish leaders to kings to, to, to governors? To, why, are we all, why am I bringing this up? Because we already can see the clash of subjectivity in this story. Everyone knows Jesus is innocent. Everybody knows he, there's nothing at fault here. He has done nothing wrong. And yet everyone is scared of the consequences of the truth. That he is free to go, that he should be free to go. And so nobody acts. Nobody does anything. Six, tonight I want you to know that ignoring the truth doesn't make you free of it. Ignoring the truth does not make you free of the truth. Maybe it makes us ignorant to it, but it doesn't make us free of it. And there's this point here where, where, where and often in life, we are facing two options. We come across two stories. There's two opposing views on one topic. And what is our job as, as Christians, or even just humans, 
to hear both sides, to have nuanced conversation, to hear it all, and to find the truth, to talk and seek what is true. We shouldn't want to know the truth. We, we should ask the truth. But I think knowing the truth and valuing the truth are very different. Knowing the truth doesn't seem as important as valuing the truth. Like, these guys all knew what was right. They all understood that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Jews, people, like people in the crowd, high priests, kings, governors, all knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate says it in virtually every gospel uh, that we read, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, this story you can find, and he says it again and again, you can know and not care. You can know the truth, and if it is not a value in your heart, it doesn't mean anything to you. Knowing the truth is actually not as important as valuing the truth. And I wonder if in today's climate, in today's cultural moment, it's not that we don't know the truth. I don't think, we're, not, we're not stupid. We see things. We know things. We ask questions. It's that we don't value the truth. We're worried what it'll mean to us. We're worried how that'll change our perspective or have to change our thought process or change our friend or whatever it is. So knowing it and valuing it become very different. Okay, there's all that context. Now we're in John 18. There's a blue Bible in front of you, page 878. It looks like this. You can grab that or it'll be on the screens, of course. 878 and 879, it says this. John 18, starting in verse 28. All that context in mind. Now Jesus is with Pilate and they're having a conversation. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman government. Excuse me, the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning, and to avoid, this is so important, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Okay, I know I just gave you like 28 minutes of context, but I'm gonna stop after one verse because I, this, this just hit me so hard this week as I read this verse. Like, sense, is it irony? Is it hypocrisy? Is it both? Like, hear me for a moment. They didn't want to become ceremonial unclean while they had an undercover murder mission to kill the Passover personified that was right in front of them. Passover is coming, this very important meal for Jews. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He passes over our sin. Like that's what the Bible says. Like he has come to shift all of these things. He becomes the very thing that they're worried about being unclean for. They're worried about being unclean in the midst of them trying to get a man murdered. And again, I ask you, like I always do, to check your own heart and to consider the inner Pharisee in yourself. This is what happens when we become so subjective to our own personal reality, like just what we think. They believe the Messiah should be like this, and therefore he should, but yet he came and he said it like that. And they thought he should speak like Y, but he actually came and spoke like X. They expected some military powerhouse, and truth, truthfully, he came meek and humble, like we said last week. He came as grace and truth, and he stands in front of Pilate right now, and he stands in front of the Jewish leaders, and in this moment, they try and hide it, they capture him, they find a way to murder him because truth, Jesus, the truth, threatened their power, their pride, and again, their prejudice. This is what happens, friends. Rather than hide the truth, run away from the truth, hurt the truth, the truth is not always comfortable and it's often confronting. We just don't like either of those feelings. 
Let's be honest. This generation especially does not like that. We want comfiness. We want to be home. Like, we just want comfort all the time. We want to be comfortable. We don't like it when something confronts us. We don't like when someone shares something with us and it's like, I did, I hurt you. No, what? I'm, I am the most offensive person. Instantly, Trina's like, you know, Lucas, that really hurt my feelings. I'm like, no, that can't be right. There's no way my intention was that. Like, we don't like being confronted. We don't like feeling uncomfortable, but the truth is not always comfortable and it's definitely confronting. There's a great writer, Mary O'Connor, excuse me, Mary Flannery O'Connor, and she says the, the truth does not change the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. And I think she's absolutely right. So verse 29, so Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, he would not have handed him over to you. We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate, Pilate said this in verse 31, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This, this, Excuse me, guys. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Why is this important? You see, for them as Jews, if they were to say, hey, you've been blasphemous, then they would have actually had to get their hands dirty because it would have been stoning to death. That was the punishment for blasphemy. But if they hand him over to the Romans, crucifixion, and we don't have to do anything. And they love doing that. At this point, there was crosses up and down every single street, different people hanging all the time so that the Romans could just show their tyranny and their power. So Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus. And I like this. This is where it gets really good because now Pilate's like, okay, something's up here. This is weird. They won't do anything. There's no charges against him. I see no fault in him. Okay, get over here. And he has a little one-on-one combo. He has a little one-on-one combo. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 33. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Verse 35, I am, excuse me, am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? There's a, there's a good lesson here for us. If you're a Christian in the house, there's a good lesson here. I, I really believe that Pilate is honest and earnest in this question. I think he's really trying to get to the bottom of it. I think he doesn't quite get why he's so hated. Um, Jesus had a lot of followers. He, he had a lot of people around him. He fed many. He healed many. He, was, he had a good reputation in many circles. And so in this moment, it's, there's, there's a conversation happening. And clearly Pilate's like, is this your, like, what's going on? Are you the king of the Jews? And why do they hate you so much? Like, there's a conversation here. What is it you have done? Why are they doing this to you? And I think for us, in this moment, as, as Christians, we often want to, like, pounce on people with the truth, you know? We want to be like, you know what I did? Nothing. Like, it would be so easy for Jesus to just be like, absolutely nothing. I'm the son of God. Here's all the things I've done. Just you and me, let me give you a full sermon. Sit down. I'm going to start in Genesis. Like, he could have really, do you know what I mean? He could have hammered it home. And sometimes this happens. We go to church on Sunday night, and we get so fired up. We're so excited that we just want to go to work tomorrow and just slap everyone in the face. And be, Jesus loves you. I, you're loved. And we just want to like, you know what I'm saying? We're just, no one else does this? Just me, the pastor? Good to know. You guys all keep your faith to yourself. Really good. Really good. No, I'm just teasing. Like we, we get really excited and we just want to like pounce on people with our faith. Like we're just like, you know, Jesus loves you. Yes, that's right. And we just want to be that person all the time. And Pilate's curious here. He's asking questions. And for me, I'm like, Jesus, you have him on the ropes. Just like, one, two, punch the gospel in this guy. Let's go. But he doesn't do that. I really, I really like scaring people. It's fun. It's so fun. It's so good. Anyone else? 
like look, you look, yes, those people, you're like, I look for the opportunity, absolutely. Um, especially at work, like it's really fun to scare Pastor Lisa. Like it's so funny because she never sees it coming. Like I'll do it twice a week and she just has no clue. Like she's just like, oh, but like it's really funny. And where our office is located over here right now, like the best part is when they see you and you say hi to them and you're like, you like wave and pretend like you're doing a PO or something like, hey, and they say, hey, and then they put their head down to walk around the corner. And this always happens and they're like, hey, and they go like this. And then I'm like, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. Of course, I drop to the ground, military roll across so they don't see me through the window. And then I hide underneath the window. And then all you have to do, the, the best scare is not when you scream, right? Can I get an amen? Like the best scare is just, hello. You know what I mean? Like it's just a quick, like with weird freaky eyes and they're like, oh my, what the? One time she like dropped a Pepsi or something, went everywhere. I was in a good week. But one time I did to Andy, toupee flew right off. No joke. It's fake. It's all fake. I'm just kidding. That was a dream I had, I wish. Um, I know. I made one balding joke here and I got like seven samples from eight of you about like, here, you should try this. You should try coconut oil. Leave me alone, okay? It's God's plan. Whatever it is is whatever it is. It's my burden and I don't care. We kind of get like this with faith sometimes. We're really quick to be like, guess what? I just went to church and it was so awesome. And I just want to say, again, I want you to share the good news. I want you to love people well. I want you to be in your community. I want you to be the light. But this guy's asking some deep, important questions. And what does Jesus do? He's calm. He's, he's curious. He's even, he's like, he allows the curiosity to continue to unfold. And now again, it's, he's headed to the cross and he knows this. But he doesn't like run down Pilate's throat. He doesn't like hit him with this or that or, or more steps. And I think for us as Christians in here, please hear me. When someone asks you that hard question, is God real? Do you really think the Bible is legit? Why does God hate gay people? And, and you hear these questions you're like, and they break your heart because for some reason there has been some sort of answer or sermon preached or whatever it was given that has, that has shifted the perspective so poorly in people. And you're like, no, that's stupid. That doesn't mean, it. no, and we're instantly defensive. Hold on, just take a step back. Understand that someone's perspective and attachment or trauma to some sort of biblical thing is all a part of the process that we're called to walk with them. You know why? Because Jesus walks the same way with you and me careful, cautious, convicting, sure, but, but loving and gentle. And so when someone is on a journey for truth and for asking these questions, let us walk in such a way, amen? I think this is important specifically for this generation when it comes to evangelism, that big word, right? We're all scared to say it. I think it's important to just like be in the process. And so I have conversations as much as I can about this stuff. And usually it's like, that is a great question. I do think I have an answer for you, but can I first just ask, why the question? Can I hear more from you? Can I ask you a question before I answer it? How about this? I'll answer two questions to everyone I ask, but can I ask this one first? And I just encourage you to take that approach. I think it's really key. There's a lesson here from Jesus. Verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. This is how he responds. If it were, my servants would fight, um, excuse me, would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. You say that I am a king, in fact, but in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Here's our question. 
the question that maybe some of you ask God and Jesus, sometimes the question you ask the world, what is truth, Pilate asked. Actually, the Bible, my version is, what is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis to charge him. So again, innocent. God's like on trial here and we're the ones pointing the finger. Three big statements, three truth statements that Jesus makes here. My kingdom is not like this. It's not just land and military and power and people. It's different. The gospel grows differently. He said, I came to testify to the truth. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, listen, I know who I am. I have come to be a savior to the world. I have come. I know who I am. It's you who needs help. It's you who needs to understand who I am. Sinners that in need of a savior, hurting people in need of help. This is what he's trying to get at. It says he came to speak truth, to, to be truth, friends. He is truth, he says. And we'll get to that in a moment. And then finally, he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Imagine saying that in 2022. And then again, Pilate like he said, what is truth, he responds. He is speaking to the embodiment, the personification of truth. And he asks, what is truth? And he walks away. And again, I have always felt, this is important, and this, I think this is gonna matter for some of you. I've always felt that Pilate was, is in this place. Um, he's in a position in society where the pressure of being under Caesar, where his job and, and just the cultural moment, the heaviness, the weight of it, Pilate can never afford to seek truth. He only had one option, and that was to obey the cultural rhetoric that he was under. And I feel like we have found ourselves in such a similar place. I think there are people in here, specifically Christians, who, are, who feel like the weight and pressure of whatever the world feels like is today, whatever the truth trend is now, and it just sits, and you feel like you can't say or look or be or act any, any different, no matter what the Bible says, no matter what God calls you to, no matter what Jesus is saying, that you take the life pressure, you add all the preconceived notions, you multiply that by the way you're supposed to act in social media, and you get apathetic, truth-starved people like Pilate who feel like they're just relenting to whatever the culture is saying. When I, made, when I connected this dot and thought of this, I, I thought of this service. I thought of you. I thought of that person who feels like I can't afford to even mention that I go to church, let alone come to church, because if I do, I'll be ridiculed, I'll be grilled, I'll be said this or that. Because you have to understand the truth is a lot of people are not looking for the truth. So many people are just trying to get by. They're just trying to make it by in every moment of every day. And they don't feel like they're enough. They don't feel like they have what it takes. That's why we sang what we said tonight. That's why we sang the songs we sing. Like, man, I, I, I'm not enough unless he comes. That's okay. That's a good thing. And I think we just feel this pressure and this weight. And again, like I said earlier, we don't value truth. We may know it, but we certainly don't value it. And Pilate's concerned, and he's got all this pressure from, from Rome, from the Caesar, from more than that, and He's about to face the mob, if you will. Verse 39. But it's your custom. We're going to read a bunch of scripture and then we'll, we're going to unpack. We're almost done. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. This is where he's out. He's talking to the, the Jews there. Don't you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. 
Barabbas had just been taken as a part of an uprising. John, uh, this is John 19, verse 1 now. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This, these verses always way heavy, no matter if it's Easter or not. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and, the, and their officials saw, saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him, and as for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. So Pilate already knows the pressure. He can't seek the truth. He just has to handle what's in front of him. Then he hears this crowd shouting, crucify. We don't want him. Give us Barabbas. Like all of these things he's saying. There's nothing against him. He's innocent. Why don't you understand this? Why do you hate him so much? He's like trying to unpack this and trying to understand. Again and again, he comes to these people and they're just saying, crucify, crucify. We want him dead tries to appease them at first. He gets them flogged and hit and he's thinking like, that's enough? Come on. We're slapping him. We're hitting him. We're beating him up. Do you really need to kill this guy? Is that really what you want? This isn't truthful. This isn't honest. This isn't justice. What are we talking about here? And they continue to shout. And it's so interesting that the crowd shifts their rhetoric here. Do you notice that? At first, they didn't want to get their hands dirty. And so they're just trying to frame him for, for treason. And now, no, 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 we have a law that says this. Notice how the mob, notice how the crowd switches their tune so fast to speak, to say whatever they need to feel in that moment. They were threatened by Jesus. They didn't know what he meant. And so they're saying whatever it is to get rid of him so they can be back in their place of power. This whole time, Jesus, for many of you, your Savior, my Savior, is silent. He knows the truth. And I think sometimes we do this even in our own faith. We're kind of like Pilate, we're kind of like the Pharisees, where we bend our, our beliefs, we bend our ethics to fit the cultural narrative. And we're scared and uncertain, or maybe unaware, or don't understand completely the, the evolution of ethics that are taking place and the ethical truths that God has spoken over us, to us, over time, again and again, day in and day out, become very gray, very different, and we just begin to sway and talk with the crowd. I want to say something that I think maybe, I don't know, might be a bit bold for this crowd. It may not be. It may not be. But I believe it to be true. I believe it to be true. That all truth, all truth, specifically true statements, are exclusive. They are. Truth by its very definition excludes the opposite side of the thing that it advocates for. This is, the shirt's green or florist, or whatever, like magenta pear. I don't know. The colors are weird with people. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying. There's like 9,400 colors to you. There's Roy G. Biff, okay? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. These are the colors of the rainbow. Thank you, Coco Melon. Like, that's all we need. It's green-ish, whatever. You get it. It's not black. It excludes a black. It excludes white. It excludes red. This is a green shirt. 
so easy. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus, listen, Jesus claims to be the truth. That's what he claims. He says that about himself. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you follow someone who made an exclusive claim about himself, an absolute claim. This is John 14, 6, a very well-known verse, and we often seem to forget it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am one way. He didn't say, I am one of many truths. He did not say, here are 10 ways to get to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That is an exclusive claim. That is saying something bold. That is saying something intense. We need to understand this. He's not saying, he's not saying that these are the, you know, like in Buddhism, he's not saying these, these four noble truths will instruct you. He's not saying these ideas or, or this book will inform you. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is excluding anything that is not him when it comes to knowing and understanding and understanding the grace and love of the Father. This is a big thing he's saying. We need to wrestle with this. It's a good thing. It's exclusive. But friends, all truth is exclusive in its very nature. He's not giving many ways to go. He's giving a way to go. He's claiming an absolute truth. And it's with guidance and love that he says it. Maybe for you, you feel like well, all truth is relative, though. I, like, my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. But what if those things completely oppose one another? How do we wrestle with that? It doesn't matter. It's just what I feel. No, guys, this is a big deal. This matters. The idea that all truth is relative, it's so interesting. It is an absolute claim to say that all truth is. Now you're about to make a statement. You're about to make an absolute claim. You following me here? All truth is relative. All truth is relative, but that's an absolute claim. You're making a truth statement to encompass all truths that all truths aren't truth. It's a logical fallacy. It doesn't make sense. And we, we live our life this way, back and forth, back and forth. This is a quote. Truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, then nothing is false. And if nothing is false, then would also be true to say everything is false. Therefore, my shirt is Roy G. Biv. Right? Like... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Well, if it's true for me or if it's true for you, then it's true. Again, all truth is exclusive. It's not just Jesus. It's not just Christianity. It's not just one thing. It's not just this loud preacher. All truth is exclusive. A statement will oppose whatever's on the opposite side of it. We just don't like it. We're just worried about the conversations it gets us into. The most valuable thing in the world is truth, said Churchill. God is truth and truth is God. That was Gandhi. And yet today we find ourselves saying whatever to fit whatever narrative rather than unpacking the person of Jesus who is the embodiment of truth. I believe this with all my heart. I'm wrapping up here. When Pilate heard this, this is the final chunk of verses, he was even more afraid. Again, fear dictating the truth. And he went back inside to the, the palace. Where do you come from? I can just see him. He's starting to grill, grill Jesus. He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave no answer. Why do you refuse to speak to me? He's getting frustrated. He's got people screaming. He's got Caesar over him. He doesn't know what to do. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And then Jesus says this, you would have no power over me 
if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. I like this verse, verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried everything to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. Isn't it so wild? The preparation day of Passover, and here comes Jesus. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. Again, switching their motive, switching their language, switching their rhetoric again and again to just fix this, this pressure they feel rather than just face the truth, the beauty. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. All right, it's been a lot of talking, a lot of preaching, a lot of verses. Two main thoughts I wanna leave with you tonight, six. Pilate's battle, I really believe, was twofold. His nature in himself created, again, this apathetic attitude towards accepting truth. His surroundings, his environment made it harder to live out this truth. Under pressure, people around him. Make no mistake, there's a mission to kill Jesus here. It didn't matter what truth was at this point. And in society today, I really believe, like I said, that, that truth holds little value. The loudest voice just seems to win and creates a narrative that becomes this sort of consensus truth. There's so many statements, there's subjective truth, it's, if it's true for me, it's true, and you need to just you know, get along with it, do it, whatever it is. And again, this statement is both inaccurate and points out so many flaws, but here's the thing, you guys. We as humans, we as people, just desire so much to be accepted and to be affirmed, to be loved and to be known. And when someone or something some religion or some thought comes against that feeling of affirmation and acceptance, we don't know what to do. And we're faced with that heavy decision of do I say and speak and act out what I believe to be true or do I do whatever I can just to love the person in front of me? And we're faced with this, this heavy weight, this complex moment. And I just know I, whatever happens, I don't want to be like Pilate, and I don't, I don't hate him, I'm not picking on him, I, I, in fact, my pity grows, but to know truth, to really know it, to, to see it in front of you, yet the loudest voice around you wins. I don't wanna live like that. I wanna seek it out, I wanna ask the question. And so, here we close. Pilate never really got his answer, did he? And I promise you, I said this right, I'm gonna do my best to answer the question and we're gonna go through the scripture. Pilate never really got his answer. He said, what is truth? And he, and he walked trying to defend Jesus. So I was thinking like, how do I end this? How do I do a great job for you? How do I equip you? I wanna give you, again, two, idea, two ideas, two thoughts. One is a bit academic and theoretical and I wanna give it to you and I'll tell you why. I, I, remember, I remember going to my philosophy 101 class at UVic years ago. Okay, I'm a boomer. Years ago. Uh, I remember going to class every morning. I don't know why I picked the early class. You know when you're a first year and you think you're going to make it to your early classes? Ha! <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny. And so I would, I would get there early because my cousin had an earlier class than that. And, 
and I would I would go to the I'd go to the library or go to the, the cafe and I would I would get a chamomile tea. <laughs> I didn't know I was such I was I didn't know it made you drowsy. Thanks for the heads up, barista. It's like 7:30 in the morning. Can I have a, can I have a large chamomile, please? Really? Sure. <laughs> Just like. And I would, uh, you guys have kind of heard the story. I'd have this tea. I would listen to some music and I would just read. Because I came to this point at 18, 19, that I was like, either Jesus is who he says he is or he's not. And I have to find this out. I have to seek this out. So I would read and read and YouTube and YouTube and find anything I could find and, and get all, and I would just get after it and I would just search and I would search and I would seek and I would seek and I would wrestle and wrestle. And I found something that, that I, I really believe this was the turning point for me, where I was like, this is it. It's real, it's honest, it's absolutely. At the end of the day, your worldview, my worldview has to, and you guys maybe have heard this from me before, but just humor me, has to answer four questions. It has to answer four questions. It can't just be whatever. Your life is worth so much more than to just go in life not asking these deep, thoughtful, heart-provoking, soul-gripping questions. Origin, morality, purpose, and destiny. Where did I come from? Where did this whole thing start? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? Purpose, why do I feel this inkling, this drive, this passion? Why do I have this for people to love? And destiny, what happens when I die? Those four questions, your worldview has to answer it, whether you're a Christian or not. And it can't just be whatever answers, like an alien dropped me off and then purpose is like, because, and like, no, it needs to have some, some meat to it. And again, this is not me. This is stuff I've found from many like theologians, philosophers, and all sorts of people. And I can give you all that, just so you know. Every answer has to have corresponding answers, meaning it has to correspond to reality. It's called correspondence theory. It has to have this. It has to correspond with each other and with your current reality. Two, it has to be coherent, meaning it has to like make sense. It can't have logical fallacies in it. It can't be unsensible or unreasonable. Thirdly, there has to be empirical data, historical, <clears throat> excuse me, historical narrative, like backing up the claims that it makes. And finally, it has to be experientially relevant for you in today's cultural moment. Correspondent, coherent, it has to be pragmatic has to have empirical data. These four things have to be in every answer, those four questions. And I found as I seeked every, as I would go to Philosophy 101 and I would see my teacher who wore the same salmon shirt, the same khaki shorts and the same Crocs. Yeah, Crocs, February, Crocs. Every single day, belittle, berate, take apart any, dismantle any thought and idea on Christianity. I was in the I was in the library, sipping on chamomile, sensing the spirit over me. I realized if you look at those questions, as you unpack all of that, there is one worldview that stands above the rest. There is one worldview that has stood the test of time in a way that is fresh and life-giving, that still speaks to even students as young as you today. There is a real worldview. There is a Christian worldview. There is a God, there is a Jesus who loves you, who sees you, who knows you, who answers these questions, and he gives life and truth and grace to all those who will hear it. So search, wrestle, battle. But if you're looking for truth, if that question rings true to you, start there. It was C.S. Lewis who said, I, was, I think he said, I was looking for a place, but I found a person. And his name is Jesus. And finally, one other thought. 
I, I feel like I've said two thoughts a lot. I promise that was the one. This is the second. I said at the start, I'm a pastor, first and foremost. I love to preach the gospel, which I believe is a life-changing message that transforms even today. And so I felt this morning as I was preparing, that was gonna be my closing statement, the last thought, the C.S. Lewis quote. And as I was prepping this morning, as Georgia and Bo fought so loud, and I ignored them like every good dad does, and as I drank my coffee, and as I prayed and thought about preaching all day, I felt a sudden urgency to stop and to say if there was only those were my last words. That sounds so morbid. I don't mean like that. Those were my last words. But I really want to end there. And, and the answer is no. I feel it's so important to just, I wrote down in that moment just five truths that God put on my heart for you today. That I just want to share over you. So would you, as we often do, end a little bit introspective and as we end a little bit thought-provoking because I just know with this generation especially, I can preach, I can yell, I can scream, I can tell you ridiculous stories about my kids, but ultimately... You make decisions, you make the call, you wrestle. And so, if you would stand to your feet and the team's gonna come now, I wanna read to you five truths and I want them to sink deep. I want them to resonate in your heart. Would you close your eyes? Jesus, remember, he did not point to truth. He claimed to be it. So here are five truths I need everyone to hear. And so just eyes closed. Can you posture your body, your physical body in a way to receive whatever that is for you? But your physical posture determines a lot. Would you take a really deep breath for me? I know that seems weird. And just be in the moment and hear these truths. Truth. You're created in the image of God. You're more than a speck of atoms. You have the Imago die on you and your heart longs for eternity. He sees you. And his image is upon you. Truth, you have a specific purpose and specific gifts that God has crafted uniquely for you. You are his masterpiece, the Bible said, created to do good works that he has prepared in advance. No matter what anyone has ever spoken over you. Truth. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you, for your sins, for my sins. And he rose again. He defeated death. And he desires a relationship with you to show you his love every day. That's the truth. Truth. The Bible is powerful, it's engaging, it's truth-filled, and it is absolutely relevant for today. No book has been under more scrutiny than the Bible. No book has more spiritual vibrancy. No book can awaken your soul more than the Word of God. It's the truth. Truth, the Holy Spirit wants to go with you. The Holy Spirit is a precious guide. It's a, it's a gift to you. He's calling to you right now. He's calling to you right now. Just let him speak over you. 
gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Heavenly Father, I so believe that you are truth, that you came in fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. That truth is not relative, but you truly are the embodiment of it. That when you came, Lord, you didn't come just to give us ideas or thoughts. You did not just try and give a message in hopes to inspire or encourage. God, when you came, Jesus, when you came, you proclaimed to be the truth. You said, I am the truth. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray in Jesus' name that this would be a church, that this service specifically, that this group of people would never run from the truth, that they'd always run directly towards you, God, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, I pray in Jesus' name that truth would be rising up in hearts now for those who have denied the goodness of God, that those that have denied your words that you've spoken over them, God, I pray right now they would know in their heart all that you are, all that you're doing, that they would sense you, Holy Spirit, speaking, them, speaking to them in such a way that everything does begin to change. That that person who came in here with a perspective of doesn't matter and I get to decide whatever I want would see you, God, bringing truth that helps form and shape us in a positive light with beautiful view, God, with a great plan in mind. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would be people who seek the truth and God, who know the truth, you. Give us a boldness this week. Give us a, a real hunger every day to not listen to the crowd, to not hear the voices around us, to not cave under the pressure of whatever narrative is out there, but to seek the truth, to seek you, Jesus, and understand that your love and your spirit, it goes with us. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's sing together.